Hi, this is Robert Hewitt Wolf, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 98 for May 11th, 2020. Well, I'm going to read a few titles to you Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Andromeda, The 4400, Alphas, Elementary. What do these have in common other than being some of the greatest sci-fi shows? Robert Hewitt Wolf, and that's who I'm interviewing today. He uh, is an executive producer. He uh, helped develop Andromeda um, as well as the Dresden Files, and um, he's just a very accomplished writer, and you're going to uh, love his interview, which is coming up in just a second. This episode is sponsored by Pilar Alessandra. You may know Pilar Alessandra as the author of The Coffee Break Screenwriter and host of the On the Page podcast. She asked me to offer you 10% off of her interactive online class, Rewrite Techniques, running four Saturdays, May 23rd to June 13th. In the first three classes, Pilar helps you sort through the development and rewrite possibilities of your film or TV script by focusing on one element at a time, a story pass, character pass, dialogue pass, etc., Class 4 is all about the business, and here, career coach Lee Jessup takes over, talking to you about the current state of the industry and answering your questions about getting representation and finding work as a writer. The class is open to screenwriters and filmmakers at all levels and is taught through Zoom conference in real time. A completed first draft is not required. To get your 10% off, use the coupon code on the page 10 at checkout. Speaking about sponsoring, there's a new way that you can support the podcast. There are a lot of operational costs like hosting, web serving. You can visit tvwriterpodcast.com slash support to find out how you can become a patron of the podcast for as little as 25 cents per episode. Check it out, tvwriterpodcast.com slash support. On to my interview with Robert Hewitt Wolf. You're going to love it. Enjoy. Well, I'm so excited to welcome veteran writer Robert Hewitt Wolf, who has written on and produced such shows as Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Andromeda, The Dresden Files, Elementary, and a whole bunch in between. Welcome, Robert. Hey, thanks. Good to be here. Uh, I'm so happy that you could join us. I actually happen to be a fan of, of a lot of those shows. Um, and uh, and actually, um, the fact that the, the freelance script that sort of got you in is, is an episode that I remember um, which it's not something I can always say with writers that I interview. Um, why don't you start there? T tell me about um, back in the next generation days when you could actually submit sure. freelance scripts, what, what that was like. Well, so back in the day, uh, Star Trek Next Generation and subsequently Deep Space Nine and Voyager had a pretty much open door policy when it came to writers submitting to the show. And there were a lot of ways you could submit to the show. Uh, one of the most famous is that you could submit an episode, a spec episode of the show itself. So you could write a spec next generation, sign a waiver and send it in and they would read it. Uh, well, readers would read it. Uh, it would get through the skim pile. And then if it was good enough, uh, one of the writers of the show may indeed read it and either invite you into pitch, which was the most usual uh, path uh, if they liked it or a very rare occasion they would buy either the script itself or the underlying idea and story of the script. And that's, for example, how Ron Moore and, um, Renee Echeverria both came into Next Generation. I didn't come in through that route. Mm -hmm. They also would accept pitches from established writers or more or less established writers that had agents. And since I had gone to uh, film school at UCLA and I'd 
placed well in a con- contest. Uh, and I actually had an agent. Oh, you did? Um, okay. Yeah, and I had come very close to selling like a big sci-fi feature. So that my agent at the time represented Joe Minoski on Next Generation and just got me into pitch uh, based on the strength of the sci-fi feature that I had come close to selling. And I pitched them a couple of things. The first time I came in, didn't sell anything. I mean, invited me back, though, so I must have impressed them at least on some level. Pitched another couple of things, didn't sell any of those. <laughs> and then I got invited back for the third. And what I was sure was probably the final time. And I had two ideas, and one of them I was sure was going to be a sale, and I pitched it all out. And it was a time travel episode, and they said, well, we, we love it, but we have something kind of like it on stage right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, well, that's that sucks. And I, I was very frustrated. Uh, but then I rolled into the next one, which was not as well-developed, which was, which was just full of datas. And they mm-hmm. bought it. They loved it. Um, and uh, based again on the strength of my, uh, my feature, they let me write the first draft of the script, uh, based on the strength of that, they had me write a freelance Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, they had a story for Culus, but they didn't have a script and they needed a new, a writer for it. So they had me write that. And based on that, they hired me on the Deep Space Nine. So that's basically how I got, got started. Very cool. So, got so started that, tell me a little bit about, <laughs> so, um, so you wrote a sci-fi feature was your thought that yeah. you wanted to write features or or did you want to write for tv or what was sort of your desire at that point well back in the day i wanted to write features but that was partially based on the training in school back then uh ucla where i went to school and got my uh, bachelor's and my master's in film their 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 writing program at the time was very heavily uh focused on feature writing Hmm. and so although i did write an episode of the in-house produced um sitcom that we did at ucla uh, all the rest of my writing were, was spec features mm-hmm. and so I've written probably eight or 10 of them by the time I got the job. And a couple of them I've come, come, had come very close to selling one of them, the science fiction one that I used in my sample. I did sell a couple of times and oh, you did? it okay. almost, got almost got made once. <laughs> That's the story of my feature. I've sold several features and none of them gotten made. I've come uh-huh. perilously close on three or four of them. So. That's just the way it goes. And the, and the feature business is a tough business. Anyway, oh, so nice. very quickly at a time when almost all the writers in the, in the town were in town were focused on features. I realized, Hey, television, like they make these, they produce these, mm-hmm. you get paid and they get on the air. Like, you know, in the time it took to try to negotiate a deal for the feature that I, I was trying to sell and the whole thing fell apart. I sold and wrote, uh, fistful datas and, you know, it was on the air shortly thereafter. And so I just realized pretty quickly that if you want to get produced, TV was the way to be, was the place to be. Mm-hmm. And I think I was a little ahead of the game then, which was fortunate for me. So very cool. And that, and that led, cause that was pretty late in next generation. Um, that did you actually work on next yeah. generation or, or did you go right? No, so I only wrote the one freelance. I only wrote the one freelance script and then they, they hired me very quickly onto deep space nine as a staff writer. So I, I was at deep space nine, before the show came on the air, um, oh, okay. I think my apps, I think I sold Fistful Data towards the end of season four of um, Next Generation. And I think it aired season five. Hmm. Yeah, and was produced and aired in season five. And then season five was when they were launching Deep Space Nine. So in the middle of season five of, ne- of Next Generation, I believe, is when Deep Space Nine came on the air. Hmm. Is that right? Maybe maybe add a year to that. I, I, I'm a little fuzzy on the exact Exactly. Whether that was season five or six, but 
Yeah. So, so talk about being on DS9 from the beginning. What was that like? That that was your sort of baby staff writing experience. Yeah, that was really my education in television writing. I mean, I was working for amazing veteran writers. I mean, um, Michael Pillar was a terrific writer. He created Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and he was really one of the main forces behind turning Next Generation around when it was in trouble in the beginning. And so he was terrific. Uh, he gave a lot of writers their first job in Hollywood. Me, Ron Moore, Brandon mm-hmm. Braggan, Shankar, uh, Renee. I mean, he just was great at discovering new talent, giving them their first shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ira Bear was, you know, my principal mentor. He took over running the show after like the first year and a half. Um, and I just learned a ton from him. Peter Allen Fields, who was this pro who'd worked on like, have gun will travel, I think, or man from. Wow. Uh, so I learned a lot from him too. And it was just a great environment. And then eventually Ron and Renee came over. It was great working with them too. And Hans, and it was just a great group of people. I'm focusing mostly on the writing room, but obviously we had a great mm. cast and, and it was just, it was also just like, we did 26 episodes a year and there were five people on staff. So wow. most of the time. So I wrote a co-wrote 37 of them, I think over the course of five years. And that's wow. just like, I don't get to do that now as a staff writer. But as a staff writer right now, and even as a story editor, you're lucky to write one, two scripts a year. You know, and I was writing or co-writing a lot of times with Ira, like six, seven, eight a year. And so that's just a huge education. I mean, that's the sort of like, that's where you get your Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours pretty fast, you know. Mm. Um, So that was a great uh, benefit. And also another great benefit was that we had such terrific actors and production people, you know, bringing that stuff to life. And so Mm. you just sort of really got a really good idea or I got a really good idea very quickly of sort of what was working, what wasn't, um, how to write to the strength of actors, how to write stuff that could be done by production. Cause we had a terrific production, uh, crew, uh, but of course they couldn't do everything. And so there were things they just could not do. And if you couldn't do it on G space nine, you probably couldn't do it at all until now when you can spend 15 million dollars on an episode of television. But in, in the day, uh, so that, that helped a lot, uh, just learning sort of the nuts and bolts of television, writing and producing. Um, it's just a great people. It was a wonderful experience. Yeah. Um, I, and I've, I've heard a lot of stories about those Star Trek rooms. They, they're just kind of different than other shows. Is that true? I mean, I mean, some of the names you mentioned are like these big names now, um, and they were all kind of in the room together. I mean, I think, you know, in retrospect, it was sort of a murderer's row of talent. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, the principal difference, I think, now is the rooms were smaller. They, we moved very fast. Um, and we we sort of had a lot of confidence in what we were trying to do, I, I suppose. Um, and it was just, you know, whatever, with a, uh, you know, the five of us, whoever it was. But let's say it was me and Ira and Renee and Ron and Hans working together. You know, we could break a story in like two days, just a couple afternoons, three days. And uh, we didn't break them as, in as much detail as they do now, just by merit of the fact that we had to break so fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just like, I don't know, it, it, it was just like one of those, it was like a basketball team where everybody knows what they're doing. And, you know, you've got confidence when you pass the ball, uh, something good's going to happen. So, um, yeah, it was a pleasure. I don't know that they're that it's that different from a from a writing room, except that it's smaller and we worked a little faster. 
I don't know that's radically different from a lot of rooms that are out there right now. And I know there have been other, you know, great rooms. There's lots of great rooms out there. Mm-hmm. I just, I just happened to sort of luck into being in a, in a terrific one right from the start. Wow. Wow. Very cool. And you were on the, the whole run? I was on for the first five seasons. I honestly, I got a little burned out. <laughs> you imagine like five years of 26 episodes and, and that kind of workload. Yeah. Uh, and I also, uh, I was sort of at a point where, well, I had been promoted up the chain the whole time. So I was a producer, I think it's season five. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone above me got promoted too. And my, so I'd never been able to like supervise another writer. Like mm-hmm. I was still like the lowest ranking guy on the show. Uh, so I think I was sort of yearning to try to figure out how to run a show myself and all that other kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had the, that feature had finally sold. It was looking like it was going to get made. And so I actually left to do some work on that and do some work on some other stuff. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it was a bad decision. Maybe it wasn't, but at the time I was, I was pretty burnt. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. then. but then you ended up coming back and, and talk about developing Andromeda. Uh, how did that happen? Uh, Andromeda, honestly, I think they approached Renee first and Renee said, mm-hmm. like, you should talk to Robert about this. <laughs> uh, and so they had Kevin Sorbo mm-hmm. and they had the rights to mine, whatever material they wanted from like Gene Roddenberry's pile of unproduced of notes and scripts, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but they didn't really have much more than that. And they were developing two different tracks. One was sort of a planet bound show, sort of more like, um, new Genesis in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they also wanted a starship show based on the same sort of material. And so they paid, uh, me and another uh, writer to each develop one of those two ideas. And uh, so I got the spaceship show, which is great. That's the one I wanted. I probably wouldn't have wanted to do the other one. Yeah. And yeah, and they liked my take better, I guess, although they liked their title better. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, there's was called Andromeda. Mine was called Phoenix rising. And so um, they said, can you retitle it Andromeda? I was like, yeah, I guess so. I'll just, I'll just change the name of the ship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's what I did. Um, and so it was a really, it was a great experience. I wrote the Bible. I wrote the, uh, I wrote a Bible and a proposal and off the strength of that, they showed, sold the show for 44 episodes before I'd even written a script. I think Wow, it's crazy. And then I wrote the first two scripts. They liked them a lot. Uh, you know, we got the production up and running. The biggest issue with Andromeda was that we just had no money. Hmm. And one of the, one of the problems with the show was that, you know, they, they, what I pitched and what they wanted was just, enormous in scope aliens and robots and action sequences and starship battles and all that stuff and then when i finally started producing the show i realized they couldn't afford any of it like they really couldn't afford they could barely afford our sets they couldn't afford costumes really you know set dressing i mean so we had a really great crew and they did their very very best with the very limited resources we had but that was always the biggest problem in andromeda was like and when you wanted, when I talked to them about doing stuff like let's do less action and less starship battles and less aliens, they were like, no, we want all that. Well, you want it all, but you're not paying for any of it. <laughs> so it's going to look like shit, right? Yeah. Uh, she kind of did, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's still, you know, we got 110 episodes out of it and it's still out there and people still seem to be enjoying it. So that's cool. Hmm. And so, uh, so a couple seasons in, there was a, a bit of a hiccup. Um, t- tell me about that uh, experience. Yeah, there was a bit of a hiccup. They didn't like me telling them that they couldn't afford what they wanted, for one thing. Um, I think 
at the end of the day, uh, there were a couple issues. I think um, one was that, which was I was trying to convince a, a, a company. Tribune was a company that, that was in the newspaper business. Mm. And so a newspaper has no residual value. You, you, you make a, a newspaper, you distribute it, and the next day it's used to wrap fish, right? And so to, to try to make them understand residual value for a television show, I, I don't think they ever really understood it. So when I'm pushing them to say like, hey, if you spent $500,000 more an episode, you would make a lot more money on this. Hmm. That was just not in their business model. They just didn't really understand that. And then I think it was a – I was leaning towards a more serialized show, probably a more Roddenberry-esque show that was hmm. more complicated and thematic. They wanted something very simple that they could sell overseas. They literally told me at one point to dumb down the show. Like usually when people say that, they don't use those exact words. Yeah. <laughs> but they were like, hey, can you dumb the show down? I'm like, I, I guess, sure. <laughs> uh, but one of the other things I also realized eventually was that in my contract, I had a big kicker if I got to season three. And uh, and so it was in their their financial best interest to get rid of me. So they, they oh, wow. sort of manufactured a crisis and they fired me. Yeah, it wow. is what it is. It sucked. I mean, it was it was tough. It was a it was a tough gig. Um, but I'm proud of what we did and the limited resources we had, and I'm proud of the writers that I worked with. And I helped, you know, I launched the careers of a few writers on that show too. Um, uh, Stenson Miller, who wrote um, X Men First Class and the first draft, and Thor, and uh, um, Derek Hughes, who's now uh, who was just finished as a I think he was a co EP on the last season of Arrow, but he, mm-hmm. he's he's had a really nice career. Yeah, he's and on actually, now. Mm-hmm. And I actually gave Eric Olson his first script on his first produced credit on Andromeda, and he he did like the third season of Daredevil and Man from High, Man Man from High Castle. So, you know, I, I think I managed to to find some good people too on that show. Mm-hmm. So I tried to pay forward what Mike had done for me. Yeah, well, and, and it's it's just part of the business. I I know so many shows have have. I mean, I think the original Battlestar Galactica. Um, the the crazy stuff the network wanted they put it on Sunday night and they had to make all this educational content in it greatest American hero I mean they tell horror stories about the third season and they just made it a comic book practically um, it's just you hear so many stories about how the network just asks for stuff that you can't as a writer deliver yeah like it's weird because I've subsequently met like almost everyone who was involved in getting rid of me and all of them said it was it was a huge mistake and and it, and it was one of those things where none of them want to want to claim credit to the knife, you know. Uh, yeah. But uh, so that's nice. It's nice for like everyone to say like, oh, the show really we made a big mistake getting rid of you. Um, but, you know, whatever. It, mm. it was it was painful at the time. But I've been fine. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've said it's going to be just fine. So it's yeah. all good. Well, so, so talk about that. So so at that point, you've you've left that show. Um, what what was the landscape like? Like you'd, you'd worked a few years inside one sort of ecosystem and then yeah. you did this show and then now what? Well, I actually went back to features for a while, which is why I don't have a lot. Of, I have very spotty credits. I, I, there was a giant, uh, Hans and I, Hans Bymore from Deep Space Nine wrote this giant epic about the conquest of Mexico that we worked on for a year and a half. And it looked mm-hmm. like it was going to get made at one point. Ron Howard was attached to direct. And we, they went so far as to do a soft prep on it. And then uh, Ron went off to do Cinderella Man. And I think after, right after that, he went to do Da Vinci Code. And we, and we just, that was, you know, it's tough to, like, if you can't, once, you, once you're not on that schedule, you're not mm-hmm. on that schedule. Uh, and so I did a couple features in that time. 
like three, I think none of them got made. Uh, I did a few freelances here and there. And then I, I went back, uh, to TV to help, um, Ira and Renee launch uh, 4,400, which I, I love my wife and I both love that show. Thanks. Yeah. Hmm. I, I worked on I had, I sort of was in and out of that show. I worked on the, uh, mini series, the six episode mini series, mm-hmm. um, with Ira. And then I left to do God, I had something else. Can't remember what the hell it was now. I think it was more work on that feature or something like that. Uh, and a couple other like pilots that didn't pan out. Uh, and then a couple pilots that did pan out, which was, uh, um, eventually resulted in Dresden files. Hmm. Um, but I did, I had two pilots produced during that time. One was called Scarlet and we shot it in new Orleans and we had to evacuate from Katrina from that one. So that was a total mess. And then it didn't get picked up. And then we did, this is Hans and I actually still, we did Dresden files and that Mm -hmm. got picked up to series. Um, so that, that was sort of what I was doing a lot of development and feature writing during that interim Mm -hmm. period. And then after Dresden Files only went for a season, I went back to 4400 for another like yeah. six episodes to just help them with the like season four. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that was a fun, that was a fun, it was a fun time. I, you know, it's, 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 it, I have less credits on my resume than usual during that time or less actually episodes written because I was doing a lot of other stuff. Hmm. And so Dresden Files, uh, The Gates, Alphas, Starcrossed, uh, Elementary, tell me about sort of that time. Um, was it fairly consistent through that time, and were you more in TV and less in features? Well, the strike was in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a strike. We were out for, I think, 100 days. That derailed some of my projects. Um, and then uh, I got on the gates coming out of that, and that was like a consulting gig. Uh, um, I didn't know anyone in that show, but I worked with a lot of great people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gap Stanton and Richard Haddam. Were you on uh, the like development great Huh? No, no. I just was hired on as a consulting producer. I was mm-hmm. like available and they needed someone to help. So I came on to, did, did a year of that. That show didn't get renewed. Uh, and then um, Alphas was after that. Yeah. So that was two seasons of Alphas. I went back to Alphas to work with Ira again, which, you know, always great to work with Ira. And then there was a similar, you know, he and sci-fi had a similar, had some similar issues to what I had on Andromeda. <laughs> Uh, and then, but I, I stayed because they, they, I had a two year contract and they exercised my contract. So I was the, like basically the number two functionally for two different showrunners, wow. both of whom were great. Ira was one and Bruce Miller who created Handmaid's Tale was the other. Mm-hmm. And that was a heartbreaker when they didn't do a, when they didn't continue that show mm-hmm. after two seasons. Um, that but you cool. know, great cast, mm-hmm. you know, David Strathairn and Ryan Cartwright and like just again, like really good people. Um, great, great writers on the staff too. And, uh, you know, it just, just one of those things is television sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, and then after that was Starcross, same kind of thing, just brought on to be help run the room for some, some show for the showrunners. They were also great. Meredith, uh, who went on to do Haunting of Hill House, I think. And then Adele Lim, who wrote Crazy Rich Asians, um, and, or co-wrote it. And then after that, I got hired on elementary. So it was just, and, you know, sort of like the TV writer's life going from mm. gig to gig until you land on one that lasts a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, elementary, you did more episodes on that than any anything you've done so far, right? Well, I think it's, I haven't done the math. It's right up there with Deep Space Nine. I was on for five and a half years. 
we did a total of 154 episodes. I think I came on around episode like 39 or something mm-hmm. like that. So I did like 115, maybe 116 of that show. Yeah. Um, I wrote 16 of them. I think that's right around how many I did for Deep Space Nine. It might be a few more. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a few less or I have a few less writing credits, uh, but I was, yeah, they were both great gigs. I mean, they were, those are the two biggest, obviously, those mm. are the two biggest gigs I had in this business so far. And and you, uh, that was also when you bumped up to executive producer on that show, and were you running the room near the end? I know Bob got, Goodman also was an EP on that show. Um, well, I was also an executive producer on the second season of Andromeda, so right. so I finally got, and I was an executive producer, an executive producer yeah i was an executive producer on dresden files i feel like too i have to go check my credits <laughs> i think i was <laughs> um imdb says uh, yes. yes okay there we go uh so yeah i got uh being on that show long enough i got the ep title bob and i and but there were four eps um and that show didn't really have a room mm-hmm. so that show was run in a different way entirely from everything else i'd ever done in that most of the time you were just working with your by yourself or with one or two other writers coming up with stories. You'd mm. pitch them to Rob. Uh, if Rob liked it, then you'd break the story, but it would just be you and Rob. So there was no room to run. It was just like two or three people in a room breaking down the story. Uh, and then, yeah. So, you know, yeah, there were four EPs, but it was Rob's show. It was always. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've heard of that too. So, so, um, in that model, it tends to be higher level writers almost exclusively, right? Yes. I mean, we did have uh, a couple staff writers that, you know, rose up through the ranks. Um, but yeah, in, in general, we were mostly hiring our people who are already at least supervising producer a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as they stuck with the show, they would be co-EPs or, you know, like, like Bob and I and Jason, they, we'd become, we became EPs. Um, yeah. Shows like that tend, it tends to be, if, if it's a lot of independent study and there's no room, it tends to be a lot of more experienced writers who can just do it all by themselves. So you, you know, you've got four or five people who could run a room (laughs) (laughs) subsequently or previously had or will, uh, and then, you, you know, Erica Mittman, uh, just a lot of people who, who basically are qualified to be showrunners. And so they're off sort of showrunning their own little episodes. It's, it's yeah. a different structure. It works better for shows that are procedural, like elementary, hmm. than it would for like a, a show with a lot of continuity or a soap or something like, you know, like Star Cross. There's no way you're doing like six hmm. stories an episode and you're interweaving them. And it's, you just need a room for stuff like that. But yeah. That, that, yeah, that's how that show worked. So how would you be a staff writer on a show so like that? in and rise up like <laughs> so basically if you were a staff writer in elementary your job was like to just i i as a as a senior writer on the show would bring staff writers in to pitch them the stories that i was working on i would have them pitch stories to me usually one of us would be assigned to sort of shepherd mm-hmm. a staff writer or a lower level writer uh he, he, and that, you know we would we would do all the work uh, supervising them up until it was time for Rob to, 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 to weigh in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just write episodes that are useful to the showrunner. That's, that's always <laughs> the secret of being a good staff writer or be helpful. You know, yeah. that's, that's it. That's the job description, mm-hmm. you know, make the showrunner or the upper levels lives easier. That's it. Do that. Get promoted. Keep yeah. doing it. Keep getting promoted. Um, hopefully be on a show that's on there long enough where you can be like, uh, 
like Jeff King, who started out as a staff writer on Mentor and left as a co-EP yeah. <laughs> after seven seasons, uh, which I, I which I could have done too if I you know if I'd stayed on Deep Space Nine the whole time, but I just sort of skipped uh, supervising producer, went off and did co-EP on my own show and then EP. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's it's, it's not rocket science. It's it's easy in concept and difficult sometimes in, in execution. Hmm. So al- along the way, um, who would you say your biggest mentors were? You mentioned a couple of them. I mean, Ira, probably number one, for sure. Like, I learned so much from him. Uh, Michael Piller, I would say, too. Learned a lot from him. Um, I I think those are the two main ones. I I certainly learned plenty from Pete Fields and Jim Crocker, too. Uh, But those are sort of the upper-level guys that I worked with early on in my career. Um, And then, you know, later on, I was out there making my own mistakes and and trying to mentor other people. Yeah. but I would say that those are really the the biggest mentors. Not to say I didn't learn a lot from like working with Bruce Miller or Adele Lim or, you know, Meredith Averill or, or, or Zach Penn. Um, but I think, you know, usually mentors are the people you work with early in your career. I mean, Jerry Taylor, too. Like, I only did one episode with her uh, of, you know, Next Generation, but she was amazing and really smart. And I think I, I hope I learned some good things from her, too. You know, I think that the guys on Next Generation obviously benefited from working her, working with her much more than I did. Um, but, uh, but yeah, those are the guys I would say. Those are the people I would say had the most influence. Mm-hmm. You know, Ira is certainly number one. I just because because I did so much work with him, and yeah. then um, and then Michael Pillar too. Yeah, and you and you said that uh, in Andromeda, you you uh, mentored a few and, and brought up a few writers. But tell tell me about mm-hmm. some of the mentoring that you've done um, with other writers. Well, my feeling is always that part of your job as an upper level writer is to help younger writers learn the ropes and help them grow as writers and teach them the tricks of the trade. And even on shows where I've only been on there for like a brief window of time, I still feel like that's that's a huge part of what my job is. Um, I feel like uh, just what you're supposed to do. So I hope I've been, I think I've been helpful to a lot of young writers. And I think, you know, continually through my career, I've always been trying to be there for people and like, you know, show them the ropes and help them learn and, uh, and help them become better writers. And so, you know, even on shows like that didn't last that long, you know, George Maestris who worked on, um, breaking bad, his first job was Dresden files, Mm -hmm. you know, And so that was, we helped him get started. And, uh, Mark Bernardin was the staff writer on, um, on, uh, alphas. Um, Craig Sweeney came up as a staff writer on the, on 4,400. And then, you know, has subsequently, he was my, one of my two bosses when I started on, um, elementary, he was Rob's number two. Um, and like Sam Stratton, who I worked with on, uh, um, Starcross just got her first show on the air. And you know, I just worked with a, gr- a lot of great young writers on Prodigal Son, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that th- there's some terrific young writers on that stuff, too. And I, I think they're going to be they're going to be doing great stuff in years to come, too. I think it's just about trying to like I said, I always feel like I, I don't think I'll ever be able to pay the debt that I owe Michael and Ira. But, I, I, you know, I try to pay it forward as much as I can. Very cool. We're just going to take a quick break here from sponsors, and we'll be back in a second. 
DrivingFootage.com provides 4K nine-angle driving plates for film and television. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots and second-unit photography. Visit DrivingFootage.com for details. AVGearGuy.com provides computer and gear rentals serving the LA area, including laptops with final draft, as low as $9 a day with long booking rates available. They also scan photos, documents, video and audio tapes, and film reels to digital so you can easily share with your friends and family. Mention the name of the TV Writer Podcast and you will get 10% off your order. Visit avgearguide.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. And we're back. Um, I do want to talk yeah, a little so bit about Yeah, so buy whatever was just in that little break. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it yeah. sounded awesome, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so, so tell me a little bit more about, um, sorry, from a writer's experience, uh, the the development you've development you've done, and you could include features in here as well. Um, talk about the the life side of that. Um, like when you you finish a show, you got nothing coming up. Um, what does that development experience look like? And and now some of them were were properties that were brought to you or yes, and others yeah. were on spec? Tell me about all that. Yeah, a lot of them were actually brought to me. So so a lot of it is just like you finish the project you're on and if you've got nothing else going on, you, there, there, there's like two things you're going to do. One is you're probably going to write a new spec uh, or develop a pitch of an original idea. And the other is you hopefully if you've been around for a while and you've got a good reputation, you're going to field some offers. People are going to bring you some things. Mm -hmm. uh, in the one first scenario, it's really about like following your passion and finding something that you're just super excited about working on, whether it's an established piece of IP and I've gone out and chased IP before, or if, if it's something and it's an original idea, uh, then just putting in the sweat equity to make it something that you can sell, whether that's a pitch, you know, which is still, you've got to work that up. It's, it's few weeks of work at least to get a pitch ready to go get it out there start pitching it try to get it sold um or a spec just sit down and write the hell out of that thing i've gotten so much work from specs that you know never sold or i had a couple that sold but didn't get made and i but i still get a lot of work out of that you know out of them um or pitches that i sold and then was commissioned i was commissioned to write scripts for so i still use a lot of those as samples um or there's a few that have never gotten made that i use as samples that never, I never got paid for. Uh, so it's always great to have those. You can always need samples, and, and originals are better. A lot of people prefer to read originals these days. So you should always be writing something, I feel like. Yeah. So right now I'm working on a spec, and I have four different pieces of IP, one of which I chased, and three of which are sort of, well, two I guess I chased, and two of which sort of came to me that I'm sort of bouncing around a little bit with. They're in various stages of, like, reality. <laughs> um so it's hard to know whether any of those will manifest into something. Uh, but they, I've done a lot of work on, done a lot of work on two of them. Mm -hmm. I've done a little tiny bit of work on one of them, and one of them I may or may not be invited to do more work on. <laughs> so it's just that kind of thing. It's just like, yeah. and also there's been a bunch of projects that people have sent me that I've turned down, you know, mm -hmm. which is a luxury. But a lot of the time, especially if it's IP that's out there, what you're turning down is is 
months of unpaid work, you know, mm-hmm. you have to find something you're passionate about. And I've been lucky to find those things. I mean, I was super excited about Dresden Files when it was brought to me. Andromeda was super exciting. Um, you know, uh, sadly, Riverworld was a super exciting project when it was brought to me. But mm-hmm. uh, what eventually happened to it was was sort of an abortion, unfortunately. Um, that was one of the bigger disappointments I've had in my mm-hmm. career. Uh, that was like two years of my life trying to get right. that thing into a good yeah. place and, and just to get like massively rewritten and then the budget again slashed and I wasn't producing it and a lot of I feel like bad decisions were made uh, in the actual production. That sounds but, like the life of a feature writer. Yeah, that that was the most feature per, feature-like experience I'd had, you know. Um, and I have a feature I'll probably write soon mm-hmm. if if I don't get distracted by these other things. And I've written three books in the meantime. So one of the things I'm working on right now is just uh, editing my third novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got the last round of notes. So just uh, one last pass through it, and it should be out in July. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and, yeah, and- so it's always just find yeah. things that you're passionate about. That's mm-hmm. really what it's all about. Like find something you're passionate about. If you're working on it, make sure you're passionate about it. Make sure you at least vaguely own it. <laughs> or at least you're attached in a significant way where you can't get messed over. Yeah. Uh, and just, well, we'll talk know. about that part too. When you say you chased, chased IP, what does that look like? Yeah. I haven't done a ton of it, but like occasionally I'll do something like have my manager or my agent when, when I actually had an agent, uh, because I don't have one right now because of the labor thing, but, uh, have my manager check into a piece of IP that I'm interested in and just say like, Hey, who owns this? Like, mm-hmm. I would love to do something with this. A lot of times there's nothing you can do. Like, I think I was one of 80 writers they talked to about Ringworld at one point <laughs> or another, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and you know, whatever. You you can either uh, – and I, I know I'm not that big a name, so a lot of times, like, they'll go after the bigger name or someone will have a better take than you and or they, they're way down the line with it or they're just – they're giving up. I mean, so that's – I sometimes check on projects like once every five or six years just to see like, Hey, that novel that I love, what the hell's going on with it? You know, I know this company <laughs> yeah. doing something. I hadn't seen that movie yet. Is that still out there? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I chase after that a little bit. There's a, a, a game, a role playing game that I love, uh, that I actually managed to get the rights to for a year to try to sell. Mm-hmm. Haven't had much luck. Um, but I've been really, I was really excited about it and, it's just not a, it's not a big giant piece of IP. It's a little more obscure, and it's mm-hmm. been a little bit hard pushing that rock up the hill. Uh, there's a bigger piece of IP that I literally just started talking to the rights holders about two weeks ago about, um, and I reached out to them. That was mm-hmm. kind of like, hey, I uh, what's going on with this? I know you were developing it. Oh well, we it's it's sidetracked a little bit now because we lost the guy who was doing it and. Uh, the take isn't going to go because of this reason or that reason. I'm like, well, what if you did it this way? Oh yeah, that sounds cool. Let's talk, (laughs) you know? So again, like that's very early days that could all go sideways any minute or, or it could become something more serious. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's basically, there's a lot of that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, it does seem like a time that having the IP, uh, makes a, a much bigger difference now than it might have, say, 10, 15 years ago. I think so. I think uh, studios and networks, IP just means a lot. It just Part of it is that there's so many shows out there. There's so much noise that you want something that's going to pop. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's an established piece of IP, like 
the boys, for example. Like, I'm not going to say that the boys was a household name, but at least it gave something. It was something, right? It, it was it was a splashy, edgy graphic novel that people understood. Like, what it was. You can look at the graphic novel. You can understand what it could be. It's got a little bit of brand awareness out there, and you can you can sort of try to try to exploit that. And I think they did a great job. Um, Lost in space. You know, I mean having IP is not a guarantee of success, but I think for in, in the minds of the people with the money, it does lower the risk. Mm-hmm. And I think that you, I, you can't blame someone if they're going to, you know, throw a hundred million dollars down on the table that they might want something that some mitigation of that risk, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's, I think IP is right now very important to people. Mm-hmm. And to younger writers, make sure you actually secure it. Correct. Correct. Make sure you secure it or at least that the people you're working with who who make sure they've secured it. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard people like work on things and then find out that the people they were working with didn't have the freaking rights to it, you know? Yeah. So make sure that, which is crazy, but happens. Mm-hmm. So make sure that there's some legitimate chance that it will get made and that you, and that the rights are all in pretty good shape and that you are at least attached at least, very least, a gentleman's agreement with somebody respectable. Hmm. Um, ideally, uh, that there's going to some contractual piece of paper. If hmm. if you're the person pursuing the rights, then you get what's called a shopping agreement, and you either pay a little bit of money, or you know, depending on the situation, you might even be able to get it for like, you know, nothing. It just depends on what the what the piece of IP is, and but it's it's always better to have paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Definitely. Always paper. Well, let's move on to um, your most recent show, which is Prodigal Son um, with Chris Fedak. I, I love Chris. We go way back. Yeah, Chris. Yep. Talk, talk about that show. Well, this is a situation where I was sort of brought in just to help with the back nine of the, sec- mm-hmm. of the first season. Uh, the, uh, I, people are probably, your viewers are probably aware, but, but not everyone might be that a lot of times when they order these shows for network, they order 13 episodes mm-hmm. with the option to order nine more in success. And that's called the back nine. Yeah. And, um, the guys, Chris and Sam just needed a little extra help on those, on those back nine episodes. And so they hired me to come in to help, you know, help break story in the room and write an mm-hmm. episode and, and help, uh, shepherd an episode or two. Uh, and so I, I came in, did that. Uh, I think I was helpful. Uh, <laughs> actually my episode was the episode that was on stage when the COVID-19 crisis oh, hit my. and they shut production in New York. So I was like a day into production. I was in New York and oh, we my. turned the lights off, you know? Um, so I don't know whether that episode will ever get produced. Hopefully they'll use the script in season two. The B stories are now all, are all shot cause they, they had to skip 19 and 20. Oh, wow. And so there goes they're going to go straight from 18 to 21. Uh, and they did some changes to 18 and 21 to make that work. And I think it'll work great. It's a really fun show. Terrific cast. You know, I, I sort of just did a get a special guest appearance on that show, uh, uh, to help them out for a little bit. Um, but it was great to do. And I love Chris and I love Sam and they had so many great writers on that staff. Mm. Um, but that's also like, they had a lot of great writers on that staff. They, they sort of needed me to get them over that little hump. Uh, and so I did that. It was fun. Very cool. So, so what's next? What, what are you passionate about? What, what uh, do you want to work on? Well, so I, I, I wish I could be more specific. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I literally have like f- f- five irons in the fire right now. 
I'm up for a couple shows. I can't name any of them, mm-hmm. unfortunately. You know, I'm yeah. writing a spec episode of uh, a sort of a sci-fi genre e uh, pilot. That's mine, and you know, uh, I've got. I'm fairly far down the road with a friend of mine in pitching uh, a series of fantasy novels, which I can't name. Uh, I have tried to pitch a couple takes on this uh, role on this paper and pencil role playing game adaptation. Uh, haven't had much luck, but I'm still kind of tilting that windmill a little bit. Um, I've just started talking to this company about this other big piece of comic booky IP. Uh, I've just vaguely talked to another company about mm-hmm. a reboot of an established property. It's all just like. They're all great. You know, I'd love to do any of them. And, and I'd just, you know, it'd be interesting to see which, if any of these things manifest. Um, and then, yeah, that's basically it. And then pitch season, it's such a weird time. I don't know when pitch season will come around. The, the couple shows that I'm up for, they never even shot their pilots. Um, so they were like, or they barely started shooting their pilots. So... They sound like great shows. The scripts are terrific. Um, I'd love to help. Um, it'd be, it'd be sort of in that, I'd be in that sort of, you know, number two, number three, help out run the room type of situation on either of these shows. It'd be very similar to what I did on Starcrossed. Um, but the business is in such a weird place right now. I have no idea hmm. which of any of these things are going to manifest, you know? Uh, so it's kind of like juggling a bunch of balls, but the balls are all ghosts. And eventually one of those balls hopefully will turn into a real thing. Yeah. And then you're not doing so many things anymore, you know? Well, uh, but it's interesting. Like phantom, uh, phantom juggling. Like I'm juggling a lot of imaginary objects and then one of them will emerge from the sort of platonic cave of ideals and become a real thing. I hope. Yeah. And if not, then I'll just see what, what else people say I, they might be interested in me in or, or what other shows are out there that need someone of my level. Yeah. yeah, it's well, it's a little crazy right now. It's it's interesting. I I just read an article which will be old news by the time this podcast is released, but um it was talking about how the 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 actual studio space is booked for 18 months after this. And so there's all these pilots that were supposed to be shot, there's episodes that stopped, and everybody's going to be scrambling to try to find a way to shoot all this stuff. Yeah, um, it's going to be really, really difficult to reboot the business because yeah, especially for features, a lot of them, like a lot of these features need to need to stage space for like a year, you know, between prep and build and all that stuff. And they're ready to go. Like they're ready. Second, you know, if you've got a a feature that was supposed to start shooting in like, let's say July, you've, you've probably already secured that studio space. Mm -hmm. You own it. You're not going to want to give it back to like, Mm -hmm feature that was supposed that was shooting there until the middle of like March and then stopped. (laughs) I'm not going to give you my space. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. And a lot of the pilots shoot on spaces that are in disuse because the shows are down because they finished shooting, you know, or because the show that, that was there before got canceled. And so those spaces are going to go, to shows that are going to say, well, we want them for 13, 22, 24, eight, at least episodes. Do you want to get a contract to that or to a pilot that's going to be there for like 
three weeks and gone. Mm. So yeah, logistically, it's going to be a little, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be really tricky. Also actor contracts, it's all going to be tricky, you know, Mm. and, and even renewals, like I don't think prodigal son's been officially picked up for a second season yet. I think that it looks good for them. I I certainly am rooting for them. Um, but just a lot of logistics are going to have to get settled out when this is all done. Well, At the end of the day, like, yeah, well, like as someone once said, like, you know, television or, and film production is basically like a giant multi-million dollar construction job where every like for for 10 minutes of every hour, they put the hammers down and the actors and the pretty people come on and say words <laughs> that, that people like me wrote. And then it goes back to being a giant effing construction job again. And so the construction job of it all is like, how do you make that work? It's all going to be really tricky, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But I, it'll all come back. Yeah. And like the only people who can work right now are writers. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully yeah. something will come along where I can actually like put pen to paper officially yeah. uh, sometime soon. Uh, it's going to be like paranormal activity. If somebody can figure out a way to make a TV show that is all like <laughs> very low-tech Skyping and, and that kind of thing, it was I some show that sold. said they were going to do it that way. They were going to do it all on Skype and, and Zoom and stuff. What the hell show was it? One of the shows that's on the air right now was talking about doing an episode exclusively that way. I wish I could yeah. remember which one it was. It was like it was a criminal mind. I don't know. It was like some show like that where they were literally just like, let's see if we can do a whole episode that's based <laughs> like Zoom and Skype and record actors in their homes doing yeah. cell phone stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I think, look, I I think as a novelty episode, I think those will be really fun. I don't think that's what people want to see every day. And (laughs) there's even been a lot of discussion about how much, how many stories people are going to want to see that are actually about this. Hmm. And I think that the common logic is the answer is going to be not very many. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe in a few years, someone will want to do stuff about this. But I think right now, I think people are looking for some fun little escapism, little fun, you know, yeah. um, we'll see. We'll see. It's yeah. a interesting times as they say. Yeah, it sure is. Um, yeah. so let's, let's change gears a little bit and talk about, um, help for greener writers and that's uh-huh. specifically. So say somebody who's just gotten on staff, but they don't know a whole lot yet. Um, yeah. What would your advice be to, to greener writers in terms of you, you've talked about how even now, I mean, you're, you know, couple decades in and and you're still constantly developing you're constantly writing new samples and stuff what what do you think that the life of a new staff writer should look like well uh the number one priority and the number two priority and number three priority of a new new staff writer is make the showrunner's life easier that's it that's the job so the first thing you need to figure out is what does that mean like, what does the showrunner on this show need? Do they need someone to be in the room and write very neatly on the board? Like, mm-hmm. sure, do that. Do they need you to take thorough notes in the room? Do they need someone to come up with ideas in the room? Do they need scenes? Do they need someone to write a bunch of outline stuff? Do they want you to just write the words that are up on the crime board in the office? Whatever they whatever they need, like, do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um research. Uh, there are shows where all staff writers do is research. I mean, the West Wing, that's all staff writers ever did. They would just like write up these sort of research memos and then eventually Sorkin would turn them into scripts. Um, I think that's how it worked anyway. Uh, 
So I think that that that's really that's the biggest thing that you should always lean into in a staff writer and and understand that like your your job is to make the showrunner's vision come true. So I think a lot of staff writers, you know, they get hired onto a show, and I, I certainly didn't really understand how television worked when I got on, and I always thought, all right, they liked me, and I should just do the thing I did in my feature and like write some big action sequences and some fun. And it's like, we can't produce this shit. I mean, we can't do this. So yeah. one of the things I had to learn very on in Deep Space Nine was like, this is Michael's show, write Michael's show. What does Michael want this show to be? How does, what does Ira want this show to be? Figure that out and write that show. Read mm. the scripts a lot. Watch the episodes over and over again. Take notes. What are they doing? What's their style of story structure? How do they like to structure a scene? figure that out, study the hell out of the show. That's, that's sort of job one, mm -hmm. figure out the show, do the things that you've figured out they need. Um, exciting in as upbeat and as positive and as, and as, you know, be a good soldier, you know, that's it. That's really the first thing I would say mm. as far as career development. Yeah. If you have time, you should still be writing specs. You should always be writing specs when you have time. Um, sometimes that time will be thrust upon you, but mm -hmm. you should always have something that you're trying to noodle around that's your own stuff. And, and what do but you look obviously for? the show is always a priority. Yeah. What do you look for? Because you've been in, in a hiring situation a few times um, mm -hmm. uh, in submissions. Uh, what, what stands out in a good way? What stands out in a bad way? I think I'm looking for someone who writes good characters and good dialogue almost b before anything else. I think the next thing I'm always looking for is understanding of story structure and scene structure, even more than story structure, someone who understands scene structure where there's like, okay, is there a conflict in this scene? Is it clear what each character wants? Do I understand what they're trying to do to get what they want? Do I understand why they are disagreeing or having uh, why is this a scene? Like, why is this a scene? What are we achieving in this scene? What is each what do we go into it? And how does this scene launch us into the next scene? Like, I don't want to just see a collection of good scenes. I want to see scenes that trigger scenes hmm. that trigger another scene so that every scene happens as a, as a consequence or as a rebuttal to the scene before that. That's sort of one of the things I'm always looking for. Hmm. Um Snappy dialogue. I don't want to read like, you know, 18 page long scenes, you know, and I don't want to read a bunch of 30 second long scenes because this is television and we're not doing a bunch of 30 second long scenes. Mm -hmm. I want to see characters interacting with each other. I think a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of times there's a lot of action and action is great, but the biggest and most powerful special effect and most expensive thing that we are going to show you on screen on television is two actors talking to each other. Right. Like nothing was going to be more expensive than Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu in a frame together. Like those are two of the, the two most expensive assets on elementary, like Michael Sheen talking to a member of his family is the most expensive special effect you're going to get on prodigal son. And so people who are writing to that writing characters, writing great scenes, that is what, you know, that's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Good twists, but not like, I don't know. And then if it's genre, I want someone who like fairly quickly establishes a logical set of rules that their magical universe or mm -hmm. science fiction universe works on 
and sticks to those rules. Because I think that that's another thing that's really important in genre TV, especially is like the audience has to understand why things work the way they do very quickly. And they have to be able to rely on that so they can forget about it and invest in the things that's really going to keep them coming back, which is the characters. Hmm. Uh, Cause it's all about character. Like at the end of the day, it's all about creating characters that the audience wants to see eight, 10, 20 times a year. Um, or, or, or sit down and watch eight hours of straight <laughs> these days. <laughs> yeah. Are they creating those kinds of characters? Because that's what I'm really looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, characters. so most of what people are submitting now is pilots. How important is it that they are producible? Like it, you said, you don't want long scenes, you don't want short scenes. So is, is it important that they, they sort of fit the flavor of the show that you're, uh, you're rooting I've, for? I, if they're just wildly unproducible, most of the time, that also means that they just don't have a lot of character scenes in them. Hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if eating into sizzle, you know, and zap pow explosions and all kinds of crazy stuff. And at the end of the day, I what I'm looking for is always character. So I think that unproducible is usually symptomatic of a larger problem. Hmm. Uh, um. But beyond that, I don't really care about unproducible. Like if you write, if I'm reading a show that's like set in ancient Egypt, I know that that's a huge production issue. Hmm. But if the characters are cool and the scenes are great and the dialogue is great, and I'm I I know why I'm I have a rooting interest or at least something that's pulling me through. Like that's that's what I care about. That's all I care about, really. Cool. Um, general advice, sort of what you might say to your younger self based on what you know now or advice to somebody who, um, is considering a career in this. I think it's very important and I think I've hit on it a lot, but I think it's very important to remember that television is a team sport. If you want to execute your vision exclusively and not listen to anyone, write a novel, (laughs) write a play, write a feature, they'll, they'll, screw you and do everything different than you, but at least you'll be able to write that feature and it will be your vision at one point. You know, Uh, a television is really about executing the show that exists exceedingly well. So it's, it's definitely like, you know, you're not a golfer. You're not out there on the links with you and maybe your caddy, you know, you're a basketball player, you know, your team is depending on you and everything you're doing is about the team. It can't be about you. I mean, it's so I think that that's important for people to know about television. I also think, you know, it takes a long time to get started in this business. So I would always tell young writers to be prepared to take five to 10 years to get that first job. Took Mm. me five. Um, I'm glad I stuck with it. You know, I had some crises of faith along the way. I I would tell people that if it's your passion, stick with it, but understand it's going to take some time. Mm hmm. Um, I wouldn't recommend anyone do it for the money. Like it's very good money, but there are a lot easier ways to make money. Hmm. You know, go into banking, <laughs> go to Wall Street. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, become a lawyer. Uh, the, because it's sporadic, the money sort of comes and goes. That's another thing I would tell a young writer always is that don't spend it like that's what you're making all the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, those first few paychecks can be kind of eye opening. Save it. You know, you're going to have good years and bad years. Make sure you've got enough money to get through the bad years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are, those are the biggies, I yeah. think. Uh, 
team sport. Don't spend all your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's your you know, What's your least favorite part about being a TV writer, and what's your favorite part about being a TV writer? I mean, my least favorite part is a total lack of job security. I mean, I just <laughs> I like to write, so I don't like these times when you're sitting around not being able to do the job. Hmm. You know, or writing on spec, that's great, but. I like writing shows and getting them produced. Um, the best part for me is is working with other writers and actors and great crew and directors. Um, that when things are clicking and the collaboration is working really, really well, and the room is humming or the set is, you know, churning out, you know, banging out great stuff, and everybody's firing on all cylinders. That's just it's. It's thrilling. It's super fun. It's like, mm. it's showbiz. It's like, Hey kids, let's put on a show and you're doing it. You know, that's my favorite part. Um, uh, although I do like sitting by myself in a, in a lonely room writing. I enjoy doing that too. Yeah. Uh, that's hard work and it doesn't have as much of a high, but that feeling of having written a good scene and re reading and going like, yeah, this is working. That's a great feeling too. Mm hmm. Um, so I, I would say those are my favorite things. Very cool. I've never uh, done this before. Oh, yeah, the politics, oh, okay. the politics can suck too. I would say. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've never yeah. done this before, but I th I think this would be cool. Um, tell me about. I don't know if you can think of this, but the the episode or the thing that you've written that you're the most proud about, like the 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 thing that you wrote that you you are really proud that you put into the universe. Well, I will say that the thing I am the most proud about is 80 writing credits and 300 or 400 episodes of television produced like like that by itself is what I'm the most proud of, because mm -hmm. that speaks to a lot of things, a certain amount of professionalism, a certain amount of endurance and skill. Um, and just that uh, that volume says something mm -hmm. to me. Um, individual episodes, I, it's very hard for me to pick one that I'm like proudest of above all others. I feel like the wire is probably the first episode of television where I really felt like I really knew what I was doing and it turned out really, really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was, you know, fairly, you know, I, I, I was fairly far along in my deep space nine experience there, but I was very proud of how that episode turned out, how, how I came up with it, how I changed it when necessary and how it just ended up being, I think a pretty memorable piece of television. Mm. Um, but I also feel like, look, there was a, we did a Andromeda was a troubled show, but there's a couple episodes of that show that turned out great. There's an episode called angel, dark demon bride. I'm still very proud of mm. it doesn't look as good as I would have liked, but I think that the story is very compelling. And I think there's a lot of good performances from the actors. And I think it turned out really, really well. I, 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 I it's like trying to pick your favorite child and I, I've, <laughs> I've got 400 children, you know? Yeah. Uh, that I helped raise and, and at least 80 that I actually parented, you know, I actually fathered <laughs> myself, uh, or, or like, you know, or mothered or whatever however you want to put it. Yeah. And I, I don't, it's tough to pick just one of those. I mean, I think there's some terrific, like I did, there's some alphas episodes I'm super proud of. There's episodes of the, I only wrote two episodes of the 4,400, but I feel like I'm pretty proud of both of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, 16 elementaries. How do you pick one of those? I mean, there's yeah. a bunch. There's one called End of Watch. I really, again, it's, I think often like the ones I'm particularly proud of are the ones where I figured out, where I think I finally figured out the show and like delivered an episode that like was like 
not not just like a learning experience, but like where I'm I was kind of nailing the show. And end of watch, I think, was the first one of the elementaries that I wrote where I really felt like, okay, this is like I know what I'm doing on this show now. And I think that's a particularly good episode of the show. It's a, an episode about a cop killing, mm-hmm. and it, so it has a lot of heft. Um, but it still, I think, has a really cool. Um, the B story is pretty strong too, but I think ultimately it also just has a really strong. The mystery is good. It's just a very good mystery, and it's slightly different. The approach to the mystery is slightly different, mm-hmm. um, but the reveal is kind of. I think it was clever. Um, yeah. So there's just I. Too hard to choose, my friend. Too hard to choose. Yeah. Also proud of my books. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm very proud of those books. Those, those were a tremendous. Those were more work than anything else I've ever done. Like each book is like. Yeah two years of my life. So I'm very proud of them too. Yeah. Well, and, and I must say, and I, I've seen a lot of uh, more mature writers who start to write novels. At the, the coolest thing about a novel, unlike the, all the collaboration of TV is that it's all yours. Yeah. That's the truth. The truth is, yeah, there's, there's, it's unadulterated Robert Wolf for better or for worse. You know, there's no, I can't blame anyone else for the things that don't work. And I, and no one else gets credit for the things that do work. Um, I don't know how many novels I'll manage it to write in the, in the time I have left on the face of the earth. They're, they're a lot, they're a tremendous amount of work. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm glad I the three that I did. And I'm proud of them. Very cool. Well, I think we'll end it here, but, uh, really thank you for, for taking all this time. Um, can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, writer geek RHW, uh, is my Twitter handle. Um, I, I, I'm there dispensing questionable wisdom all the time. So if people have questions about the business, I'm always happy to answer them. Um, yeah, that's the easiest way for people to interact with me is Twitter. Very sure. Well, thanks so much, Robert. Really appreciate you uh, being on here. Happy to do it. Uh, have a good one. Stay safe. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Robert Hewitt Wolf. Um, there's lots more coming, hoping to release these every week for the foreseeable future. And in order to help me do that, please do check out tvwriterpodcast.com slash support to find out how you can become a patron of the podcast for as little as 25 cents per episode. And as well, do check out the podcast site for lots of other resources like free scripts and a Twitter database of over a thousand writers. And, uh, and also, I do want to urge you to subscribe on YouTube, on Podbean, on iTunes, Spotify, all those places, post your comments, reviews, follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle, and you can share your thoughts there, questions for upcoming writers, you can find out who's going to be interviewed uh, by following following me on Twitter and uh, connecting with me there. Um, also, if you're, if you're a writer and you want to be interviewed on the podcast, absolutely reach out to me, at Gray Jones is my handle. Anyway, um, have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.